thought I heard someone in the background giving her some guidance. I thought I heard another person in her background. Okay. Okay, first off, understand this. I have absolutely nothing against Esther's appointment as the adjutant general. That is the governor's call. She can appoint whoever she wants. As a matter of fact, when it was announced, I sent Esther an email congratulating her. One of the things that's going on with these letters is, and the subsequent discussions is, there's a lot of focus on, is she qualified, is she qualified? Both of those letters really were referencing whether she was eligible in the first place to be considered for the position. And in your opinion, uh, was she eligible? Well, you know, Chris, that can be validated. There, you know, records can be looked at, her records. You know, when someone is going to be nominated as the adjutant general or, in Corey Gakono's case, assistant adjutant general, there are specific eligibility criteria that must be met. If they don't meet that criteria, then although they're nominated, it they won't be selected because they did not meet the initial eligibility criteria. Regardless of who it is, you have to meet all the eligibility criteria first off. That's being lost in these discussions. There's more focus on, is she qualified? If someone is eligible and they're appointed, how they execute their leadership qualities, in other words, the results will determine if they were qualified or not. Qualifications are the result of your actions. It shows if you were qualified or not. Eligibility is based on objective, in other words, facts. Qualification is subjective. Did they perform the job? It's always a question, can they perform the job? But once they're in the job, are they performing the job to a standard, specific standard? So I, I definitely see what you're saying, and I guess my question would be, do you feel like the tag was uh, eligible to be nominated according to the um, parameters that are set forth in Guam law? You can't just take Guam law. Understand, the Guam law and the Army regulations, you have to look at both, and they have to be used in conjunction with each other. You can't just take things out of context and take one line in army regulation or one line in the law and say, okay, this justifies what I'm doing. No, they have to be used in concert. Otherwise, why would the Guam Code annotated say, make any reference to an army regulation? They have to be this on the army side to be able to do this on the Guam side. I mean, not trying to sound Benedosa or anything. I'm a native English speaker. You know, I was raised speaking English. I understand exactly what I'm reading. Most senior level officers in the Army, that's one of the requirements that they be able to read, write, and communicate. But again, if you take it out of context and just use that one line or a couple of lines to justify an action, come on now. So what do you think, Mr. Tenorio? Is she eligible or yes or no? I've heard rumors. That, well, actually, it was reported previously. She was issued a reprimand by a general officer over the housing issue when she was at her school. Typically, if you're issued a reprimand by a general officer, that stays in your record until it's removed. Now, I've been issued a reprimand before in my career, and, and understand, yes, I'm a former Guam National Guard member. I'm just a little shy of being one of the, what they call, charter members. Okay, I 
did 29 plus years in the Guam Army National Guard. I too started out as enlisted, eventually became an officer. I've served under every adjutant general, every acting adjutant general, every actor that wanted to be adjutant general but didn't, commander of troops. I've served under them all, the exception being Rod Leon Guerrero. I actually retired just before Rod had been nominated to be the adjutant general. And so you were up there at the Guard as uh, what type of employee under uh, the current TAG's uh, leadership? I was there as a civil service technician. I was what they call a Title V technician. Now, there's two types of technicians in place there at the Guard now. There's a Title 32 technician, which is a dual status, which is Monday through Friday, they are a federal employee as a civil servant. They wear a uniform, but they fall under the rules and regulations of the Office of Personnel Management. Now, to be a dual status technician, you also have to be an inactive duty status weekend warrior with the Guam Army National Guard in this case. And they are Title 32. They fall under the control of the state governor. I, as a Title V technician, I do not fall under the control of the local governor. I'm actually a fully-fledged federal employee. I work for the Department of Defense through the National Guard Bureau. A Title 32 soldier, they can be manipulated if someone really wanted to do that and do things that would be improper because they can threaten their military side. Oh, Monday through Friday, I can't do nothing about it. I'm not your supervisor. But come to weekend drill, I happen to be in your supervisory chain. I happen to be in your rating chain. You wouldn't do this or that Monday through Friday. Well, when you come in on the weekend drill, I'm going to give you the counseling statement or I'm going to issue a reprimand. There are ways to take advantage of that situation. So what about you as a Title Fiver? Oh, I'm in the process of being terminated, although it may be erroneous and how they're going about it. But the issue isn't about me. The issue is many of the full-time staff are reporting these things to the governor. Yes, there's a grievance process in place, which is use your chain of command. And there's also the inspector general process. Now, some of the people post, no, you do this, you do that. Well, you know, when the chain of command is the problem you're trying to report, well, then that's when you have the opportunity to go directly to the inspector general. But the inspector general process can take a long time to be completed. First, they have to find if there's any merit to the allegations reported, then they have to investigate. I mean, it's a long process. It's not one of those overnight things. During that interim period, though, while the IG is involved, the reported issues can continue. In other words, the problem keeps on perpetuating and it starts making it worse. So do you think that's why uh, people resorted to writing these anonymous letters, is they kind of saw it as a a quicker way to resolve these uh, concerns and issues? Cord Kakono is in the process of trying to terminate me. I'm not a disgruntled soldier. I'm not upset about it. Understand that the reason I am a civil service technician was I was asked to apply for the job. I don't need to work at the Guard, but the reason I did apply was I was asked because they needed help. And it was in a shop that I ran for over 20 years. Granted, someone's going to say, oh, my rank is only this or that. Uh, granted, yes, my rank isn't the highest. I could have gone further, but I put my people that worked for me at the time ahead of me. Their career, they had to get their schools. They had to get their advancement because as enlisted soldiers, if they didn't, they were more at risk for being let go than I as a 
warrant officer. I had more security than they did. You put your people first. You put the mission first. So you've had some firsthand experience with uh, Colonel Gokono then, and he's one of the main subjects of these two letters, right? Yes, and it was reported that he was hired to come to Guam to replace someone that was retiring, and it was in a totally different division. He applied for a job in Guam as the Director of Information Management, which is one of the directors that falls under Adjutant General. Now, I'm fully aware of what that director does, because I was the director of information management from 2006 to 2007. I've been part of the general staff, part of that command that they refer to, and this was under General Goldhorn at the time. I was not only that, but I was also the data processing manager down at the USPFO. I was running both IT shops. So, Mr. Tenorio, um, I know that the TAG has said that uh, Gakono and um, Lieutenant Colonel Pantene were hired before Agagi, but while that may be true, they weren't put in those positions that they're in now until... They were hired for the positions that they occupy now. Right. This is my observation when the change of command occurred between Broderick Leongro and Esther Agagi. It's like there was a purge of all the current O6s all the full bird colonels, O6s. At the appearance of all the O6s, all of a sudden, soon after Esther assumed the command, they all got transferred out. Some of them were put in limbo positions. Corey Gakono, being the most recent O6, having received that O6 promotion under the Guam National Guard's allocation for colonels, which brings up the question, oh, he came from National Guard Bill. Why hadn't he been promoted while he was at National Guard Bureau? Had to come to Guam to get an 06. That brings it into question. You know, from a military standpoint, most military personnel are going to wonder why he had to come to Guam to get promoted to that. But being the only 06 left and relatively new and quite possibly amenable to whatever agenda Esther intended to promote for her vision forward... That's how he became the chief of joint staff. It wasn't because he was, that was his intended career management. And understand, in the military, there is career management. People, once they are selected for a position in the beginning of their career, they are tracked as far as their training, their assignments, and that's based on their displayed potential to do a particular job or do a series of types of jobs. Corey Kikono, and to a certain extent, Tasleen Patton, by virtue of being brought to Guam, and they came under two different circumstances, nobody had an idea of what their potential was. You can look at their past performance records, what's called their officer evaluation reports, and you can kind of get a feel for it. But again, you need to see how they perform within your environment, within in your area of operations, so to speak. Mr. Tenorio, let me ask you this. So uh, in my interview with the Adjutant General, she had said that those two were selected as her command staff because she chose a command team that she can trust. Has this become kind of a sore point with uh, some other officers who may have been, um, you know, wanting a similar position? Because I've heard that there was things said like, oh, we don't have the talent here in Guam. That's why we put these two uh, people who weren't from Guam um, in those top positions. I think the key word there is 
these are the people I trust. You know, if you just kind of read in between the lines of those letters, it's apparent that there's a lack of trust between Dadston General and some of the staff within the Guard. If you want to do something, look at what was reported. It's being reported that a soldier was directed to take an action that was inappropriate, or may be inappropriate, allegedly. People need to understand, that may not have come directly from Esther, but it may have come from her subordinate staff, being Gokono and or Patton, okay? For those people that are saying, oh, it's because, how can they prove it? Let me tell you, I do know that if it became necessary to determine that, everything in our systems, especially our personnel database, everything is tracked. It will indicate who, when, what, and how. I know that for a fact. Mr. Tenorio. Am I saying that Esther had her MRD changed? I wouldn't know for sure, but it could be found out if someone felt that it was necessary to find out. For someone to make that allegation, I'm going to tell you this. Whoever made that allegation, obviously someone that is familiar with that system and how it's done, and either they observed it or they saw the result of it. Hey, it's just like Gory Kokono becoming the being identified as Assistant Adjutant General for Army side. I can honestly say, I noticed that, I saw the change, and I reported it to my supervisory chain, but I did quantify it with, hey, was this a mistake? Did someone make an error? Because as far as I know, someone in an AGR status cannot, by regulation and statute, be an Assistant Adjutant General. Can you clarify what is that AGR status and explain why he cannot okay. occupy that an, an AGR? An HR, HR stands for Active Guard Reservist. You're in a full-time status. You're like just like active duty. The Guam Code of Military Justice applies to you, and in, the only difference being you're in a Title 32 status. And that just determines how your paycheck is funded. Active Army is funded through Title 10, which is a different pot of money from AGRs, which are paid from a different pot of money that Congress sets up. But actually, an AGR soldier is basically the same thing as an active duty soldier. You have all the benefits, all the same benefits, you know, Navy, yeah, military hospital, medical care, housing allowance, commissary and exchange privileges, everything that an active duty person has. It's just that you're funded through a different pot of money from the federal government. So how would that prevent him from being eligible to serve as the assistant adjutant general? The assistant adjutant general positions are typically IDT, the weekend soldiers, inactive duty for training. Those are typically, and I hate to use this word, those are typically your political positions. That allows the state governor to appoint people from her, him or hers, their administration, right. their political supporters. Just like the adjutant general. The adjutant general is a politically appointed position, nominated by the governor, vetted through not only National Guard Bureau, but also Congress, if there's rank involved. Certain ranks, 06 being one of them, 06 being full board colonel, 06 and above, that's vetted through Congress. Congress is the one that will approve if they're going to be promoted or not. Right. Now, when I say approved, saying Congress is going to fund these positions. Right. Okay, we, we can have 20 generals, we can have 20 major generals, which is a two-star. Basically, it's what's going to be funded. Right. But it has it's approved by Congress. Right. 
When you take what can be an assistant national general, the Guam Code annotated is very clever. One, first off, you have to be a resident of Guam. That's the very first thing. You have to be a resident of Guam. Within your military records, you'll have a home of record that says, this is where my residence is. But that's on the military side. Here in Guam, Gov Guam, if you're a resident of Guam, and we've had this happen in the past, who do you send your tax return to? Do you send it to the federal government? No, because we've had cases where people were doing that federal government said, hey, you're not supposed to file with us. You're supposed to file with the Department of Revenue and Taxation. So if they wanted to find out, was he eligible? Okay, where do you file his taxes? Are his taxes filed with the federal government or are his taxes filed with revenue and taxation? Am I correct? Right, but so we don't know in black and white if he is a resident of Guam until we find out if he filed his taxes here, right? Yes, but the governor's staff can't find that out. And it's a responsibility of the governor's staff in their vetting process to validate these things. Because the Guam Code annotated also says, the general nominates a person to the governor. The governor, if they accept that nomination after they do whatever they do, which would be the vetting process, would appoint that individual. Assuming all the blocks were checked, all the eligibility criteria were met. And if the governor nominates that person, then they would publish orders. Because an appointment still requires official orders saying you are appointed to this position. And yes, they can publish orders that state by order of the governor. The general doesn't do that. That is the authority that only falls under the governor. And there's nothing that I've seen in the Guam Code annotated that says that that authority has been delegated to anybody else. Okay, so Mr. Tenario, let's go back to the letters and the interview. So the general feeling in these letters is obviously they're questioning the leadership of not just the TAG but her command staff. So can you confirm that that is a widespread mentality down there at the National Guard Center? Let me kind of quantify it. It would appear that the people submitting these letters are part of the full-time staff. Would it be all the part-timers? In other words, you know, the thousand-plus soldiers? The only way you're going to find that out is probably talk to the soldiers. I would say, in my opinion, that these letters are primarily referring to the full-time staff, the people that work there Monday through Friday. And that would consist of the technicians and AGRs. You're talking of a force probably around 200 people. But you need to understand, or everybody needs to understand, the full-time force, they're the ones that prepare everything. In other words, they're the support group for the weekenders so that when they come in for drill, the weekend drill, things are in place for them to do what they are there for, to train, to be prepared for a deployment or a call up by the governor or whatever. So if your support staff aren't functioning, if they've become dysfunctional, if an area has been rendered ineffectual, then that affects those troops, the weekend troops. One of the letters mentioned that because of the actions being directed by Corey Gacono, it's rendered a finance office ineffectual and now soldiers can't get paid. I'd say that's 100% accurate. I know that someone was put into, someone was assigned to the data processing office that isn't the best qualified, if qualified, person to be there. And that person was sent there because of Gorg Kono's direction. That's also related to his current attempts to have me terminated. 
one of the soldiers that was referenced in the second letter of having been investigated and nothing was found, that soldier, from what I understand, still received a reprimand, which they shouldn't have, because if the investigation had no findings, the soldier shouldn't have been reprimanded. But that soldier got reassigned. And this is to the same office, the data processing center. And to be honest with you, neither the individuals have any experience in that particular office. It's different. It's, it is significantly different from the other IT directorate that falls under the command. One, primarily because the systems require a specific background in the Unix operating system. And I'm going to tell you now, you can count on one hand with most of your fists closed how many people in the Guam Guard have that experience. And I would know because I'm the person that trained most of them over a 20-year period. So are you, are you basically saying that they're using reassignments and investigations to punish officers who aren't... Uh, Not only officers, enlisted personnel. Put it this way. I know of one per Okay, senior enlisted folks, okay? They serve as a unit first sergeant or a unit sergeant major. Those positions are approaching the pinnacle of an enlisted person's career. But they have to perform in that position for a certain amount of time before they can be credited for having achieved that command time, as they call it. When you assign someone to that position, and then because they're outspoken, which really, they're not being outspoken, they're performing their duty of, a, of advising the command, ma'am, sir, whatever, that's not the right way to do it, or you can't do that. The regulations prohibit it, or the regulations prohibit doing it that way. Well, that they become outspoken instead of actually doing the right thing of advising their superiors that they're about to make a mistake. That is one of the responsibilities of not only the senior enlisted staff, but also every officer. If you know your command is about to make a mistake or directing something be done that's not appropriate, you are obligated to advise them of what they're about to do. Now, you can't make them do anything about the advice you give them. But what you can do, and this was cited in one of the letters, one person actually resigned because they did not want to commit an illegal act. So you're saying that members of the Guard, soldiers and airmen who are trying to advise the command of missteps or this isn't up to regulation, that those officers are then being targeted it's not just officers, it's officers and enlisted. It's anybody that does not toe the line or go along. Now, my you know, and here's my question. Is Esther even being made aware of these things before her staff, i.e. Corey Kakono, execute these actions? She may only hear of them after the fact. Can you give us a little more on that mandatory removal date? Because I asked the tag about that, and uh, she said that she couldn't comment on it. And, you know, she couldn't comment on her mandatory removal date. Because, yes, that is a personnel matter. I mean, that's like, you don't talk about someone's Social Security number. But what I will tell you is this. You can Google Army Regulation Mandatory Removal Date, and it will explain what is the mandatory removal date, how do you calculate it, and so on and so forth. And that's public information. What's not public information is the details of her mandatory removal date. So even I won't say, I won't talk about that. 
But if you want to know how the mandatory removal date is used in the Army system, that information can be Googled and found out. Matter of fact, most Army regulations can be found on the Internet. Just Google the Army regulation, and you should be able to see the publicly available version. So what would you say to the people who are listening to this and they say, oh, you know, Mr. Tenorio, he has a bone to pick with Gakono because he's getting fired by him. How would you address that? Well, first off, they need to understand I don't need the job. Unlike a lot of these people that are reporting anonymously, they may need that job to support their families, to support themselves. I'm retired. I'm I'm already receiving a pension. There's nothing they can do to take that away. And understand where I'm coming from. I gave half my life to the Guam Army National Guard. And I did sacrifice a lot for that. But I'm also grateful for having had the opportunity to serve in the Guam National Guard. And I wasn't a low performer. I mean, I'll take my 20-year officer evaluation report to include the one from Afghanistan, and I'll stand it up against anybody in the Guam National Guards. I also was not a middle-of-the-road performer either. How do they fix this then? So, I mean, we've never seen this before, ever. We've got letters, you know. I just don't know. How does the Addison General remedy this situation, in your opinion? Okay, this is my advice to the governor. Yes, they've been submitted anonymously, but don't focus on the anonymous, you know, being submitted anonymously. The problems identified in the letters are what need to be looked at. The problems still need to be fixed, no matter what, no matter whether it was submitted out in the open or submitted anonymously. The fact that it was submitted anonymously actually points out another problem. That in itself is a problem. People are saying, use a chain of command. You know, but the chain of command is part of the problem. If everything is final decision rests with the adjutant general, then guess what? That's like going up to the adjutant general or her command staff and saying, I want to submit a complaint that you're, that you're doing something inappropriate or you did something inappropriate or whatever. What do you think they're going to do? Are they going to say, oh, okay, I claim I'm guilty. I'm going to take care of it. Oh, come on. Give me a break. If anything, some of the things that are being reported are things that, you know, that yeah, some people may want to keep under the radar if, in fact, they're happening. But what I can assure most people is some of these allegations that are being made, if everybody's worried that information's gonna disappear, you know, even if they assign their tentacle down to some position to try and make things disappear, the fact that it goes, those things have to be done on the Department of Defense system, that's totally audited. And if anybody thinks, oh, I'll send, I'll assign my tentacle down there so I can control what's happening, and they try to do something like, oh, we had a problem, system crash, we have to start over. But, you know, hey, that information is still out there. In the DOD systems, digital fingerprint is almost like forever. So I got to ask, why are you being terminated? Are you allowed to talk about that? Sure, I can talk about anything, Chris. Because okay. anything that pertains to me, I can talk about. Right. There was a system, that, there was a, a problem that cropped up on a system in the shop where I work. I'm currently employed as a database administrator. The systems I work with are the federal database of record. A system cropped up while I was on leave. Now, my leave has been planned for, and my immediate superiors were advised of it since April. It's been planned since April. Now, my leave plans were 
I'm going to go visit my first grandchild. You know, I missed out on a lot of my children's events while I was in the military. Now I'm a retiree. Well, this is my first grandchild. Well, this problem cropped up while I was on leave. And my leave plans to include this, the follow-on leave after I was going to come back from visiting my grandchild were all pre-approved verbally by my supervisor. So they were fully aware of my plans. Well, this problem came up. Corey Kakono directed my supervisor to cancel all my leaves and that I was supposed to come back on a particular day. And I have the text messages to prove it. And I also have the emails to prove it. I advised my supervisor, it's not going to happen because my plane does not even land back on Guam until after that date that Corey Kakono is directing. When I did come back on island, I went down to our my division and I was informed that I was going to be issued a reprimand for not having been there on Monday, even though they knew my plane didn't arrive till late Tuesday. And I was also going to be, I was also told I was going to be issued a reprimand for my follow-on leave that was going to occur that coming weekend. So I was like, okay, you want me to come in, but you're still going to issue me a reprimand. You know what? If you're going to issue me a reprimand, I might as well take the days, which is exactly what I did. Plus, the reason they were stating about why they needed me to come back, well, the person that Corey Kakono had assigned to the office where I worked at sent out emails stating that, okay, this thing that needs to be done is going to be done on this date. Then a couple days later, he announces that the very same thing, the application that was referenced, was available. Anybody seeing that would have thought, okay, whatever needed to be done, this certain program had been successfully installed, and people can now use it based on the second one, but turns out it wasn't. It wasn't successfully installed. But the person never said it ain't working. What they did was said that they left it so vague probably to cover their self. Who knows why? But the rationale that they were using about why I had to come back was negated, which I have the email saying, hey, this is an emergency because you have this person there right. and they said they did it. Okay, Mr. Tenorio, it sounds pretty petty. We don't need to go into any more uh, detail. Exactly. So, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the employee union will be looking into it. Let me put it that way. What about this climate uh, survey that's supposed to come out? What do you what do you anticipate that that's going to say? Uh, that's going to be hard to say because usually in the command climate survey, the results are given to the command. The command at this point being Mr. Agiki. Is she going to share those findings? I don't know. That you know that's going to be her prerogative. But because it's a command climate survey, you would think you'd want to let all your commanders, unit commanders. And your senior staff, you would want to let them know what the, what the results were because they're the ones that are going to have to affect the changes, especially if what was identified falls within their area. I mean, if, if it's being reported that you have a problem in, in your area, but you're never told about it, then you can never work on repairing it, fixing it, or making it better. And what you don't want is, hey, if there's an inspection... And you do nothing about the findings of that. When there's the follow-on inspection, and that inspection says, hey, we found this last time, but nothing's been done about it, it just makes it even worse. Now, you know, here's the other thing. What is the risk the Guam Guard takes? Will they shut down the Guam National Guard? I kind of doubt it, but they can start 
defunding it. And from the governor's aspect, what she may want to look at is how much money does the Guam National Guard's existence contribute to our overall economy? How much does the Guam National Guard's activities for training and so on and so forth, how much of that contributes to our overall economy? I know at one point that was probably close to $30 million, you know, in the past. Well, just think about it. If National Guard Bureau decides to start defunding this, in other words, okay, we're not going to give you budget to do these events for whatever reason because we're low performing, that will have an impact on our overall economy. To say that we're number one in the nation on recruiting and retention, yes, that's a good accolade, and Guam has done that quite a bit. But how does that really contribute to our mission? Because, you know, we're talking people that are still pending, going to recruiting and, I mean, going to basic training, and then after basic training, they have to go to their MOS qualification school and become qualified. And even then, they really don't start gaining experience until they hit their first unit of assignment, where they actually start putting all that training into work. And it's basically going to be their real training, their real mentoring period. So, you know, the other thing is, yes, we recruit X amount of souls, you know, X amount of people to join the Guard. But how many of them make it through basic training and AIT, advanced individual training? You know, so you got to put things in context. And unfortunately, in a lot of the social media reports and so on and so forth, some of those things are not being mentioned. And some of the comments referring to it don't take that into account. So you actually have to look beyond some of those surface comments. You've got to kind of look at the bigger picture. Hey, so I want to go back to what you had said about um, the largely, uh, what would you say, the content of the letters? Or what you're saying is what? The, the majority of the letters, in my opinion, and this keeps getting mixed up, is they're trying to point out, in Esther's case, or actually also in the second letter, the initial eligibility of all, of all these people to be appointed to these positions. You have to satisfy the eligibility before you can be appointed. You have to have to satisfy the eligibility criteria to even be considered. Anybody can apply, but if you meet, don't meet the qualifications, and guess what? Your packet is put to the side. It's not considered. No, I mean, the, so the tag had said that the content of letter, letters was largely inaccurate, and you don't agree with that, right? I would caveat that by saying, why would you qualify accuracy with largely inaccurate? What you're, what that implies is, okay, maybe not all of it's accurate, but some of it is accurate. If it's all, if it's none of it is true, you would, I would think you would say, none of it's true. But to say something is largely inaccurate implies that some of it is accurate. 